Joining us on this episode, we're going right back to the second half of the interview with British Columbia Baseball Umpire Association Provincial Supervisor, a man that's been to multiple international events, and a guy that likes to garnish his omelets with relish, Steve Butang. Topics we cover are how he enjoys using other people's equipment, his 40th birthday party, and the scholarship in honor of his father to help British Columbia umpires get to the professional level. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. Interesting baseball facts. In a typical 162 game regular Major League Baseball season, there are approximately 729,000 pitches delivered. That's calculated at a 300 pitch per game. Now let's say 140 of those pitches are considered callable by the umpire. At a 97% success rate, that means that there's going to be 10,206 pitches that will be missed. So the moral of the story is, the next time you miss a pitch, remember there's still 10,205 pitches that you can miss before you equate that to the typical Major League Baseball season. So shake it off and get back behind the catcher because you got a job to do. And welcome to The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Now, we're not going to spend too much time, and we're going to get to the interview right away. This is the second half of the interview with British Columbia Baseball Umpire Association Provincial Supervisor, Steve Butang. Like I said, it's the second half. So here's a little clip of what you missed, or what you might have heard during that first half of the interview. Uh, I was a decent player, I guess you could say. So dad would basically call the game behind the plate. And one day he asked me if I wanted to try and I didn't really want to. And he said, well, it'd be good for you. You'd learn a lot about the strike zone and learn a little bit about the rules. And so I decided to give it a try. And, you know, it didn't take me very long to realize that I liked it. And he says, how old are you? And I said, uh, well, I'm 15. And he says, uh, you can come out and do our games anytime that you want. He said, you're better than some of the old guys we get around here. <laughs> and that league really was great for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I got to work with guys who had been in AAA or in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And so I got to learn a tremendous amount from those guys. I don't call it a swing. And I point to Mitch at first base and he doesn't call it a swing. And so there's lots of griping and complaining from the Edmonton dugout. Well, of course, you know what happens next. The next one goes out of the ballpark. Calgary wins the game. Edmonton's furious. At the end of that interview, or at the end of that conversation, he says, well, that's it. You're just going to have to throw somebody out next game. And so I kind of tentatively walk in. And I kind of, you know, poke my head around the, the corner. And there's this man who is naked except for his tidy whities And he's not under the covers. And he's not in good shape either. And he's reading this newspaper and he just kind of pokes his head down from the newspaper and he says, well, hello there. And I hope you're Chubba. And he says, no, but I've been expecting you. Come on in. As you can probably tell, we had a lot of fun in that first half of the interview and this part is going to be just as exciting. We promise you that. Now, just one more plug before we get into the second half of the interview. Check us out on Facebook, Leading Edge Umpire Stories, where you can check 
and like our statuses, share some of the episodes as they're released, leave us some feedback and comments, and you know what? Just have some fun, because that's what we want to do. We want to have a lot of fun here on The Leading Edge. Also, if you're interested in sharing our podcast around, you can find us on Apple iTunes Podcast, Alexa on Amazon, you can find us on Podbean, Google Podcast, TuneIn, anywhere you podcast. Like I always say, if you're listening to us now, you probably know where to find us. But if you want to share it, go to those sites and please share us, spread the word, because we'd really appreciate sharing some of the fantastic stories of all the great umpires and individuals from across this beautiful country that we call Canada. Now, without further ado, we're ready to get on to the second half of the interview with BCBUA Provincial Supervisor Steve Butang. Just so you have an understanding of where we left off, we are about to get into talking about his Tournament 12 experience as both an umpire and then a supervisor, and we'll let it roll from there. So, please enjoy. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Okay, Steve, let's talk 2015. You get the opportunity to go umpire at Tournament 12, or what we also know it as T12. What is it like to umpire at that tournament compared to working in national championship? Uh, completely different. So the first time, I've, I've been lucky. I've been there three times. And so I'll say the first time was so unique and exciting at the same time because I know I'm not ever going to umpire in the big leagues, but I'm just some amateur guy who gets an opportunity to go and umpire on a big league field. Yeah. And so that in itself was was such a thrill. T12 is a tournament that I wish every umpire in Canada could get an opportunity to go and participate in. Of course we can't, but the reality is that it's such a cool experience that you will never ever forget. Um, the Blue Jays are such first such a first class organization. And their alumni program is uh, second to none. Uh, the alumni guys come to T12 and work for Robbie Alomar and his dad, and they are guest coaches. So there's eight or ten of them wandering around from from dugout to dugout, or sitting in the stands, or they, you know, they do practices and things of that nature, and they talk to the players and these young kids. And most of these young kids don't, you know, would have never seen these guys play. But here we are for the older umpires like myself and Ronnie and Andrew Higgins and guys who have been older than 40 years old would have remembered seeing all of these guys play, yes. you know? So you, you have guys like Dwayne Ward and Robbie Alomar and George Bell and the best guy of the bunch is Lloyd Mosby and uh, Devon White. And, you know, there, there's, you know, and, and my, you know, former, former minor baseball friend, Paul Spolgerick and, and, you know, some of the other guys that come there every year to help with the coaching, those guys treat everybody like, they were somebody special. Yes. So it doesn't matter that you're Joe Blow from Timbuktu or from Climax, Saskatchewan. They they don't they treat you like you're a big leaguer for that weekend. So the the treatment is second to none. You change in the umpire's dressing room, which is pretty cool. You walk around the stadium like you own the place. You're on the field, and I will tell you that being on a major league field, the quality and time and effort that they go into preparing the field and the mound and the base paths and everything for every single game, they treat that like it's a major league game. You are wandering around in awe while you're on the field, but you still have to umpire. I mean, the quality of play is pretty good, obviously, but 
but it's the aura of being in that environment is just amazing. To be able to be on the field with these guys who are there to help you, uh, and when I say help, I'll give you an example. Lloyd Mosby uh, is the first guy who will go and pick up pass balls and foul balls and run the ball back to you at home plate. Oh, wow. He'll be the first guy who runs out of the dugout at the end of the game to shake your hand and say, thanks for umpiring today, guys. Uh, anything you need, just let me know. You know, we run a scholarship foundation in British Columbia to send umpires to pro umpire school. So I asked some of these guys to sign a few baseballs that we auction off to raise money for that. They can't sign enough. They, they, <laughs> wow, wow. Honestly, like anything else is, do you need anything else? Like I give you a hat, I give you a shirt, just, just first class, first class individuals. Again, for, for the older umpires who would have seen these guys play, it's pretty cool. You know, here's, here's, here's an example of, so Devon White, who was a tremendous, tremendous center fielder for the Blue Jays in their heyday. Yes. Very underrated too, as far as I was concerned, but that's another story. So Devon White is wandering around, I guess, between games and he's a tall dude. One of the young guys who's playing, who's, I guess, 17 years old, says, who's that guy? <laughs> right, because he didn't recognize right. him. Right. I mean, he's 17. Yeah. He wasn't even born when they were no. in their and, and I And I said to him, I saw, oh, that's Devon White. Did he play? No. I'm like, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was a fantastic center fielder. And he kind of laughed. The kid kind of laughed and said, is he as good as Kevin Pillar? And Kevin Pillar is a tremendous center fielder. I'll give him that. Yeah, but he's not a Devon White. But I said, Kevin Pillar couldn't carry that guy's jock. He was that good. Right. And so anyway, he couldn't. Um, that, that's just, uh, you know, that's just the kind of guy that, that's around there. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It it's is. pretty cool. And it's a, a tremendous environment. And like I said, to be able to be on a major league field is such an honor, something that I'll never forget. And uh, like I said, I've been lucky that Andrew's invited me back to supervise the last couple of times. And, and it'll, it'll, it's an event that I will never say no to uh, if I'm afforded an opportunity to go. And, and anybody who, you know, strives to get to a tournament like that, I would suggest you go and ex enjoy the experience because it'll be an experience like nothing you will ever have in your life. And don't worry about all the pressures that, that you put on yourself that go along with the other purpose that you're there. Just enjoy the experience. Now, Steve, let's take a shift from the experience aspect of Tournament 12. And since you mentioned that you've been a supervisor there, can you explain to us what the teaching and learning aspect of Tournament 12 is for umpires? The group of supervisors there are very experienced umpires. We've all been to international tournaments. We, we know what it takes to be at an international level. Uh, we also know what it takes uh, to umpire, uh, quite frankly. And, and, you know, we're all very good with, with higher level thoughts and higher level educational uh, practices. So for us as supervisors, it's an opportunity to evaluate people's skills, but also to teach people about a different way of thinking when you're on the field. So as an example, one of the things that's important in the four umpire system is getting the correct angle uh, for plays. So because you really have only one base to be aware of for a play, you don't have to protect against what might come next. So your positioning can be position A 100% 
to make the call that's in front of you at that particular bag at that particular time. So get the best possible angle that you can, which probably is not going to be where you stand for three umpire system. Right. That's just the way it is. And a lot of people don't, don't know those angles or don't understand them, can't adapt to them. Being adaptable at T12 is really important because we're going to ask you to do things that you've either never done before or consider doing different things on the fly based on, on the play that takes place in front of you. You know, that's, that's really the focus is to teach people to think about, okay, now I have this call here. And then the second part about that is, if I'm one of the other umpires, what am I doing? Because I'm not standing still. I'm preparing for what might happen next. And so if I'm the second base umpire, as an example, you know, maybe there's a base hit and I decide to come in or I decide to take a certain angle and something else happens. I go, where may I go for my next play? Or what happens if the guy rounds second and goes for third, but decides to come back to second base? I probably need to move to a different angle. So uh, it's about adjusting on the fly, uh, preparing yourself for what might happen in the future, but also about learning different ways of doing things. Okay, let's take some of the things you learned in 2015. Now it's 2017 and you get the opportunity to go to the Canada Games. How do you take what you learned at T12 and apply it to this situation? The Canada Games was was probably the most fun I've ever had as an umpire for a couple of different reasons. Some of it was on-field and some of it was off-field. So for me, uh, my family was from Winnipeg and, and surrounding area. And so for me to have an opportunity to go an umpire in Winnipeg was pretty neat because I had family there. Uh, who had never seen me umpire at all. And I had an opportunity to meet family that I had never met before. That was a pretty cool experience. You know, I got an opportunity to work the gold medal game at second base. The stadium in Winnipeg was full because Manitoba was surprisingly playing in the game. There was seven or 8,000 people there. My family were in attendance. Being at second base, you can really take in the entire atmosphere because you're looking at at home plate and, you know, the stands are full and, you know, it was a level of baseball that I was very comfortable at. So, you know, I felt like I could do a competent job and I got to work with good guys and a good supervisory crew and had a a lot of fun that weekend on and off the field. And for me, it was a a bit of an emotional thing as well, because, you know, some of my family aren't that healthy anymore. And and so to have them there and, and be able to participate in that i certainly had a couple of moments you know between innings while i was you know in the outfield there's kind of looking in and seeing where they were and you know just being very thankful for the fact that they were there and thinking of my family that weren't there and and how they fit in and so there was there was certainly a couple of moments there during the course of the game that i had to you know kind of recheck my emotions and you know refocus because it was uh very surreal in a lot of ways but very cool and rewarding in others the beautiful thing is when you meet family that you haven't met before you always get the opportunity to rewrite your wheel after those events so that's always emotional i get that and (laughs) and the one thing about working second base in an environment like that is second base is probably the only position where you actually have everything in front of you now we can say the home plate umpire has the whole game in front of them and, and they do but as second base you get the whole stadium you get the whole feel Everything is in front the whole night. Yeah, the uh, the look from second base at a at a 
uh, is is different for sure because I mean most people don't get an opportunity to do four umpire system and if you do you only have one out of four chances to be at second so so to get second base you know I, it was uh, it was just a very cool experience to to be able to kind of watch the ball game. It is, and what do they say about the second base umpire? You're going to get one call all night, so don't blow it. That's what I always say about the third base umpire: yeah. is you're going to have one. You're going to have one call today. Make sure you get it right. We've talked a little bit about your national championship experience, and there's still lots on the table. We can talk another day, but you're also a man with international experience. How many events have you been to? Uh, I've been to three. I've done some international exhibitions in BC, you know, in Prince George and Grand Forks and things like that. But uh, I've been to three international tournaments that I represented Canada at. Uh, one was 2008 in the Czech Republic at the World University Championships. One was in 2012 at the Women's World Cup in Edmonton. And one was in 2013 at the World Cup u18 and that was in taichung taiwan well let's start at the beginning 2008 in the czech republic fill us in that was that was my first tournament it was really cool it was cool because i'd never been to europe so just being over there was kind of a neat experience that tournament had uh, i think there was eight teams only in that tournament there was a couple of teams that had to withdraw because of visa problems one was cuba so we had a lot of european umpires and only a couple of uh, there was a couple guys from Asia, and uh, the U.S. umpire there was Mark Ditsworth, who's uh, done quite a few NCAA Division One championships, World Series championships. Okay, uh, great umpire, good guy. And then there was a lot of European umpires, and they were nice guys, but most of them weren't very good umpires. <laughs> uh, honestly, like uh, that's the thing. If anybody goes to an international tournament. Uh, some of the guys that, that they send from other countries might be the best umpire in Latvia, for example, but he's probably number ranked number number 133 in Canada. Oh, wow. And so, you know, you get some of those guys who it it's, can be a lonely feeling on the field when, when, you know, have to cover a lot of ground sometimes on, on plays where bases are left uncovered and worked with enough good guys most days that it was uh, – the umpiring wasn't wasn't you know too bad. The best part of the tournament actually was the quality of play, and the Team USA that year had a handful of guys who ended up playing in the big leagues. And one of them, of course, was Steven Strasburg, who was not drafted as yet, and was there on a pitch count. He actually went from the Czech Republic straight to Beijing, where Ron Shucha and Haji had him at Beijing at the Olympics. So Strasbourg was pitching for the university team in the Czech Republic. The rest of their rotation consisted of Mike Miner, A.J. Griffin, and Mike Leake, all of whom uh, pitched in the big leagues. They had a couple of other guys uh, on the roster there. There was uh, Christian Cologne, Derek Dietrich, uh, Matt Dendecker, all guys who have you know played in the big leagues as, yep. you know, for a number of different teams. Buster Posey was supposed to be the catcher, but uh, was hurt. So uh, he ended up being the bullpen catcher. Didn't he, didn't even play. Buster Posey hurt. That's surprising. Um, <laughs> the quality of the Team USA was, was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think every time Team USA attends a championship, they definitely send either players who are on their way or players that are 
at the peak level, they definitely send a champ, uh, a team that's going to be strong and names you'll hear about for years to come. It was pretty interesting, pretty interesting to see, uh, a, you know, Steven Strasburg pitching even as an 18 year old or 19 year old or whatever he was yeah. uh, at that time. He, he, I mean, he was throwing 97 or 98 and he had this slider, like something I'd never seen before. You think blaze could hit it? Uh, blaze could not hit it. Good. Hey, just wanted to put that on the record. Thank you. Yeah, no, he could not hit it. Uh, nobody could hit it. In fact, so true story. He pitched, uh, he was on a pitch count. And so he pitched two games and he threw 70 pitches in each game and allowed uh, zero hits and 15 strikeouts one game. And I want to say something like 13 or 14, the second game. So he struck out like 28 guys in 14 innings and no hits and they pulled him out uh, after 70 pitches was done both games because they were protecting him before he was drafted because they knew he was going to be the first pick and he was going to make a boatload of money and they weren't taking any chance so that's just the way it was one of the european umpires who i think was from the czech republic had him on one of the games and i was the first base umpire i think and i think they were playing korea you know, Strasburg's mowing everybody down. And so finally the Korean guys just weren't swinging because they were just, they had no chance. And so instead of swinging at all these sliders that were, you know, in the dirt and out of the strike zone, they just decided to stand there and take their chances. And so he would deal these 98 mile an hour heaters down Broadway and the hitters would, would not move and neither would the umpire. I think (laughs) it was probably too fast for him. (laughs) <laughs> and so anyway the pitching coach who was also the first base coach on that team rich price i think it was so he was a funny he was a funny older guy and very pleasant i had been talking to him you know during the game and i think they were ahead by quite a bit uh, at that point there was a play that was not very close at first base and i banged out the usa runner rich looked at me so oh, good call he said the sooner we get out of here the better <laughs> and so anyway so steven strasberg's pitching and he's he's you know seventh inning or whatever and he's throwing darts he throws about three of them that from first base didn't look like the catcher moved his glove too much and strasberg was getting increasingly frustrated and so rich goes out to to the mound i guess to have a little chat and and i uh, he didn't go out there with any kind of fire or anything but i think he probably was waiting for the plate umpire to come out so that he could ask him where the pitches were missing or or whatever yeah and the plate umpire didn't go out there he didn't tell the coach to go away either and so after about 30 seconds or more nothing is going on the two of them are not talking at the plate at, at on the mound anymore and they're just looking in at home plate and the plate umpire is not going to get them and so I'm like, well, this is a waste of time. So I kind of, you know, wander from first base. I kind of wander halfway to the mound. And I said, Rich, let's go. And he said, well, I'm waiting for him. I said, yeah, I know. Let's go. And he said, but I have to ask him a question. I said, do you think that he knows what, what he's doing back there? Well, no. And I said, well, do you think he's coming to get you? No. I said, well, then you might as well leave. And he kind of laughed. Strasburg giggles a little bit and and so he leaves, and of course, and you know, he throws the next three down the middle, and and you know, three strikes later. But but that was that was the there was some interesting uh, interesting things. Here, here's another here's another good one. So, my first game, uh, the states and the Czech Republic on opening night, and so I did I did all of the states games, and the U.S. umpire did all the Canadian games opposite pools. Okay. 
so my uh, opening night, the states were playing the Czech Republic, and I had the plate. You know, you probably know I'm a little superstitious. I have to have a cigar before a game. I have to have a coffee. I have to get in my headspace, and I have to do things in a certain way. And I have to be at the ballpark at a certain time. So, of course, when you go to an international tournament and they're driving you just like at a national, you know, maybe you're not going to get there at the time you want. You know, maybe the transportation doesn't arrive. Maybe there's traffic, maybe whatever, right? You're not really in control of that aspect of it. So I do most of my preparation before I get there. I have my cigar. I have my coffee. Then we get on the bus and we go to the ballpark. Well, we get to the ballpark, like, I want to say maybe half an hour ahead of time which for me is not enough time, but that's the way it goes. Well, I'm looking, I get, I get there, and the local umpire from the Czech Republic has his own vehicle, so he's not staying at the hotel, and so he just drives there. We arrive, there's the three of us in the dressing room, and I'm looking for the Czech Republic umpire, and he's not around, and I'm like, where is he? I'm like, well, this isn't good. I better go find the supervisor and see if he's seen him. And so I go downstairs, and in order to get to the field, where I to the stands where the supervisor might be sitting, you have to walk through the entranceway of the clubhouse where there's a lounge. And so I walk downstairs, and I just kind of glance over in the lounge, not expecting to see the supervisor there, but I figured I would look anyway. Well, guess who's sitting there drinking a pint? Naturally, it must be the supervisor. No, not the supervisor. It's the fourth umpire. Okay. And I'm like, oh, no. So I walk up to him and I said, you know, and he, he spoke a little English. And I said, uh, what are you doing? And he says, I'm drinking a beer. Would you like one? Um, and, and, and I don't know. I, I would have loved to have had a, a camera on me to see what the look was on my face. And I'm like, uh no, and you shouldn't be drinking either. And I'm thinking, what if the what if the supervisor sees him? What if the team see him? What if what if what if what if? Right. And then so this guy gets up from the tea, he pounds the rest of his beer. Trevor Drury be disappointed if you wasted it. And gets up from the table and he's wearing a t-shirt and these uh Short athletic shorts that you might have seen Bjorn Borg wear in the 70s Wimbledon. They were awfully small. The original Nutty Buddy. And he wasn't in shape. And so that's what he wore to the park for an international baseball game. And so anyway, so we go, we go up and we get dressed. And I'm hoping at this point the supervisor, I don't see him before the game. Because hopefully he won't, won't smell like liquor when we get out onto the field. The, the long and the short of it is that that's the, that was one of the strange things that, that you deal with with local umpires sometimes when you go to these countries. I think Corey Davis had a pretty good story about one of the local umpires in Mexico that he was supervising with that decided to go have a siesta halfway through the game because yes. it was too hot to umpire. Yes. You see all sorts of things when you go to these places. So. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the, the long and the, the, the long and the short was it was a, it was a great tournament. Uh, had a lot of fun. Team USA was playing in the finals and uh, they played against Japan. And I was fortunate. I got to do home plate for the gold medal game for the world university championships, which is something that I'll never, ever forget. 
just a tremendous experience. Not a lot of Canadian umpires ever get an opportunity to do an international gold medal plate. Really feel fortunate and, and you know, in pretty small company, I imagine. So it's uh, something that I can hang my hat on, particularly, you know, the kind of game that we had. It was uh, the States beat Japan, one nothing in 12 innings. I think Mike Miner threw 10 innings of shutout baseball, and it, it really was a great atmosphere, and and it was a relief when it was done, I can tell you that, but it was it was fun while it was happening. Now, we use the term here regularly on the leading edge, but it sounds like you got to experience a different side of a local legend, so good for you, Steve. Yeah. Okay, Steve, walk us into 2012. You get to come back to home soil and work in the Women's World Cup. Can you explain to us or share with us what it's like to work a championship in your home country? Uh, night and day, actually, because number number one, you're in an English environment and you're at home. So right. as opposed to being in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you rely on everybody else for everything, now you're, in, you're at home, you're able to speak English. This is the post show. It's in all reality, Steve was just really excited to get a Starbucks before the game. And his app didn't require the need to convert Canadian funds to some kind of foreign currency that he might not use in the future. But anyways, back to the show. You're act, I mean, you're a host to these people from, from all over the world. So you want to do that part of it well. And, you know, it was kind of a last minute thing. There was somebody who couldn't attend. And so Corey Davis was the supervisor for that tournament. And he phoned me. I don't know. I think I got three days notice. And he said, hey, we've had a late last minute cancellation. You're the next guy on the list if you're able to go. And, and so I took the opportunity. Trevor Grease says yeah. never say no. I made it work and uh, I was, you know, I was there and I was supposed to be, uh, I was supposed to be uh, helping out and filling in and not really sure how many games I can get you into, but we're, you know, we're short, you know, for a while. And it turned out that I worked every day. The experience of working women's baseball was a little different because that was the first time I'd ever done that. Uh, But, but also tremendously rewarding. It was not like it was inferior baseball in any way, shape or form. Women can play ball. Uh, as it turned out uh, that week while I was there, I turned 40, which was, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a milestone birthday for a lot of people. And all the all the women and uh, Corey uh, got together and kind of played a bit of a joke on me and, uh, you know, made a 40th birthday party for me when I wouldn't have got one otherwise. So that was kind of neat. <laughs> I think Corey decided that he would insist that we come back to the residence for an umpires meeting because he was furious about you know some of the things that, that the umpires were doing on the field so everybody was all tense or at least i thought they were they were all in on it of course and so you know we get there and he said i'm you know really upset with you know the way things are going especially you Butang. and i was like what did i do well you turned 40 and so of course then there was a cake and there was you know it was a big production it was very cool and it was, it was a neat experience well, Steve, you only crest the top of the hill once, so happy bladed birthday. And it uh, picks up speed on the downhill side in a hell of a hurry. <laughs> okay, well, let's pick up some speed then. In 2013, you're going to Taiwan. It's only fair we hear some stories from that experience. Uh, Taiwan was uh, so cool, very different again. First of all, you're traveling halfway across the world. The travel and the trip in itself is is something that is harrowing in, in some ways. Certainly not for the faint of heart. It's about 18 hours to get to where I was going. and All first and class, we, right? Uh, yeah, very first class. First class on Flintstone Airlines. <laughs> so we arrive 
And just remember that Ronnie and Haji, they had to get in an 18 passenger van and drive 18 hours. Oh my gosh. I was never, no, you wouldn't catch me doing that. Anyway, uh, we get to Taiwan and the weather's beautiful. Of course, we're dead tired, uh, but the weather's beautiful. So we make the most of the rest of the day. And then the next day, we're supposed to have opening ceremonies. We get to the umpires meeting, and I, I had no idea. But we get to the umpires meeting, and uh, they inform us that a typhoon is about to strike land and in the next couple of hours. And there is very little chance that we're going to play any baseball at all for the next three or four days. Now we're not really sure what's going on. And sure enough that, you know, two hours later, the rain starts, they cancel the opening ceremonies. And when I say, when I say typhoon rain, it's, it's what I call Taiwan rain. So we had in a three day period, 200 millimeters of rain. And that was just in Taichung to uh, two hours south of us in a town called Doliu, they had 800 millimeters of rain, and that was the secondary site for the tournament. Oh, wow. And so, amazingly, all of these stadiums and the city is all built for this. So they have these culverts that run through the city. Like, if you watch TV, sometimes you see the aqueduct in Los Angeles, where they have these big cement rivers that are basically empty all the time because it doesn't rain in california anymore and so they're empty but this is what they have all through the city in taiwan so these things are empty and about four hours later they're they're full and they're about 50 feet deep oh wow and the water rushes out to the ocean and that's how that's how they evacuate the water out of the city and so the city itself doesn't flood the, the farmland floods and the hillsides and things flood, but the city itself doesn't flood. So that's the, from an engineering standpoint, it's actually, it's ingenious. Uh, from a baseball stadium perspective, I thought that the stadiums and the fields would, would be toast. The old field was not in good shape, but the new stadium, the intercontinental stadium there and the new stadium in Doliu in Kaohsiung, it was like it had not rained at all. So they were ready to play. They were ready to play ball the next day once the rain stopped. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe it even hearing it. Yeah, and uh, anyway, and the field, uh, the fields were in phenomenal shape. Uh, now let me tell you, after it rains that amount, and the water and the water is soaked into the ground like that, and then the sun comes out and it gets <laughs> hot, you could actually see the steam rising from the grass in the infield. The humidity was something I have uh, that puts Windsor to shame. Unbelievable humidity, and so to strap on your gear at one o'clock in the afternoon, when it's uh, forty plus degrees and fifty, you know, fifty with the humidex is uh, quite a challenge. Let me tell you. Well, I heard a rumor that you didn't even wear your own gear there. <laughs> so uh, this is crazy. So. I only had to go down to Kaohsiung and work at the Doliu Park once. And Cuba was playing Australia. I want to say that was the last round-robin game. So I, you know, again, because everything was all backed up and we had to play doubleheaders and umpire doubleheaders every day just to get the games in within the period of time that needed to happen, we were working two games a day. So plate and a base for me. So I did four, I did plates four days in a row. This one particular day was the last round robin day. Well, I was supposed to be only at uh, first base. So the third base umpire is uh, a local guy from Taiwan. 
the first base umpire is me, and then the plate guy is a fellow from Colombia. So Cuba's playing Australia. The winner goes to the super round. The loser is out. Kind of an important game. And, you know, lots on the line. And so uh, the third base umpire is supposed to take the gear. So he has his gear. Plate umpire from Colombia. We're all riding on the bus uh, on the way down there. It's two hours to get there, and it's the technical committee bus. So it's got all the scorekeepers, the technical chair, Peter Caliendo from the States is the technical guy, and and then the umpires. And Rhonda was with me at that time. And we're going to the stadium, and this guy from Colombia is sneezing, and his eyes are just swelled shut from whatever kind of allergy attack he has or whatever, and he's supposed to do the plate. We arrive at the stadium, and we're quite a bit early, so I go and have my normal game preparation uh, outside. I've got to you know, have my cigar and my coffee, and, and so I'm getting ready, and half an hour before the game is supposed to start, I go into the stadium. The guy from Columbia is not in the umpire's dressing room, and I'm thinking, well, where is he? And so the Taiwan guy points you know, down the hall. And, and so I go down the hall and I walk past the medical center and the guy from Columbia is lying on a stretcher with an IV bag coming out of him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? And Peter says to me, have you got your gear? I'm like, well, no, it's not my turn. He's like, oh, well, he said, uh, you're going to have to do the plate. I'm like, I don't have any gear. He said, he said, well, he, he said, who's got the gear? I said, well, the guy from Taiwan, he said, he ain't doing the plate. You're doing the plate. And I'm like, oh, well, shit. Now what am I going to do? I go and go back to the dressing room and this small, thin guy from Taiwan, and I'm not a small, thin guy. <laughs> well, I appreciate the honesty because I'm trying to picture this. and Yeah, it's not going to work. His, needless to say, his plate pants were not going to fit. Needless to say, his chest protector was too small. His shin pads were too small. He had a ball bag to give me, which was good. He gave me an indicator that was not the one that I normally use. At the, uh, I use the old style indicator with, you know, the ball strike and no innings. Right. You know, different different position than than the four dial ones. And the mask, uh, not mine. And so, and and then the worst part, as you all know, <laughs> I'm like, uh, really, I'm going to go stand behind there with no jock on. There's no chance that's going to happen. And there's no chance I'm wearing his. And, so, you know, I have to have a certain level of, of decency here. He pulls out this sweaty old jock strap that I don't think had been washed in 40 years. And I just shook my head. And, and so I, I told him to take the cup out of the support. And I slid that in. Skin to skin. And... I'm getting dressed as they're introducing teams and we go out onto the field just as they're introducing the umpires. That's how little time that was left in my preparatory time to get out there. I was, I was the most unprepared I had ever been for a plate game. Uncomfortable because I didn't have any of my own gear on. Oh, no question. I had this thing between my legs that, that was <laughs> not comfortable to say the least. And I probably umpired the best game that I had all year. I, I have no idea how I did it. Uh, but it, everything that I had learned in professional baseball, everything I had learned from Baseball Canada, 
Everything that I had learned from guys that I had worked with all of my life who drummed in the most simplest of things, just go back to basics. Do everything as basic and as simple as you can. Don't worry about things you can't control. Concentration and timing. The pitch is a ball until it's proved to be a strike. See the ball into the mitt. On the rubber, get set, call it. Every slogan, every bit of information that I could ever recall anybody telling me is what I did in my head for nine innings. And I felt like I called it a very good game. That was just a, a very strange situation that was a learning experience, but I was glad that I had had lots of experience before that that I could take out onto the field with me that night. So is it safe to say that you travel with an extra jock these days? Well, you'd, you'd think so, but I don't. Uh, I just I just pass off the plate to the rookie guy from now on. That's fair. Now, we don't like to give too many umpiring tips here on the leading edge. We like to share stories. But maybe one tip going forward for everyone listening is wash your jock. If it's not simply for you, you never know who you're going to pass it off to. And quite frankly, it could be the reverse. Maybe you want your partner to wash their jock so that in case you ever have to use theirs. So let's think about washing our jocks as more a courtesy to our partners in case some of us ever have to get to desperation mode. Okay, Steve, let's press on from here now. One of the things that you mentioned is you've been involved with the British Columbia Baseball Umpire Association or the BCBUA, as it's known for a long time. How long and what capacities have you been involved with them? Well, I started umpiring as a registered member in 1984 with the executive and our you know i joined the executive somewhere around 2000 and uh so that's about 20 years in the executive i've had a various number of positions there uh i was the vice president for a long time and and the last 10 years or so i've been the provincial supervisor now steve the bcbua has a president and a provincial supervisor what is the difference between the two in, in british columbia we have our own umpires association that's not funded or run by the provincial sports organization okay so most most provinces like saskatchewan alberta the umpires are just a division of the pso right in bc we're a member of the pso but but we're completely independent okay. so everything that we do in british columbia is funded by our members okay so our members our members pay membership dues every year just like they do in most provinces but the bcbua takes the money and buys the insurance from the pso provides the instructional material pays for the national program including the travel essentially the whole umpire program is run by the member dues that are collected okay. completely volunteer one of the things i've mentioned on the show here before is that the bcbua are really in my opinion are one of the leaders in developing education materials for their umpires. Now, what are some of the things that you guys do in BC? Well, one of the things we did was we we revamped our level one, two, and three clinic structure. We, BC was guilty for a long, long time of not developing clinicians through the caravan program, of not following the Baseball Canada lead in any way, shape, or form, and kind of doing our own things. Just, you know, we went a different direction when I took over as the supervisor, and I wanted us to be a, a Baseball Canada member and following the program. We rejoined the caravan. Uh, we started instructing by the Baseball Canada methods, 
certifying our clinicians. Uh, we developed an evaluator program for in-province use for our level threes primarily. Uh, we started insisting that our national umpires give back to our grassroots, which has been a big thing. You know, we have our national umpires are pretty much all certified caravan instructors for our level one and two programs, but also they're, they, they participate on the board and they do a lot of mentorship in the lower levels and the grassroots levels and give back to grassroots umpiring in that way. You know, one, one of the things, you, you can't teach people what you don't know, so I had to make sure that all of our level four and five umpires across the province got high levels of education. And so we brought in a lot of major league umpires, very high level clinicians uh, from across Canada and the States in to teach, uh, teach our guys about how to umpire. Again, bring people in uh, to run our caravans uh, to teach people how to teach. A lot of the things that we've done in the first five to six years of my tenure were to rebuild the program from what I considered to be a significant deficit level and bring it back up to standard. And so once we got to standard, then, then we could kind of look at things that we wanted to do. And so we developed a mentorship program. Uh, we expanded and developed our national clinic. So our national clinic now, you know, we bring in most of our instructors for the weekend so that all of our people can learn from other voices and can learn from other people's experiences. And it's not the same old voice telling them the same old thing. Right. It gives them an opportunity to learn as well instead of instruct. Right. It's different being in a learner seat compared to the instructor chair on some of those weekends. Yeah, 100%. And then, you know, we also developed what we have is called an umpire academy. And the umpire academy is for our level two umpires who are trying to get to level three. And so we take 10 or 12 pretty decent young umpires who are rough around the edges and we work with them for a weekend and, you know, they get game feedback and they do rule sessions in the class and they do field drills and cage work. And, you know, they have a little camp. You know, we, we get them involved at an age when I think they can take a lot of the information that we're getting and really apply it. Uh, they're like sponges. Uh, you know, I can tell, a, you know, one of my national umpires who's 20 or 25 years in to do something a certain way. And they nod their head and say yes, and, but they'll never be able to do it on the field because their bad habits are ingrained inside of them. You tell a 15 or 16-year-old kid, nope, if you're, you know, we want you to try to do it this way, well, the next inning they're doing it. The retention level and the ability to change is so, so different with, with the young umpires. So we try to get them their level three that way. We also try to involve them a little bit in our high-level umpire clinics. So they may not come to the national camp, but we might have a high-level umpire clinic, you know, where we bring in a major league umpire to come in and teach. And we also have our highest-level provincial instructors teaching. And, you know, we try to get them involved that way so that when they're 18, if they're interested, they're ready to join the national program. And so that's what we built. Then, of course, we have our mentorship program that Rhonda leads in our province and uh, something that a lot of other provinces are looking to emulate. And uh, most of our national guys, they go out and they do five or eight or 10 games a year with a local young kid who's might be 13 or 14 years old at a mosquito or peewee game and, and work with them on the field and help them along in their first or second year of umpiring. And that makes a big difference to them too. 
It does. Mentorship is all about giving back and the opportunity to see the next generation of umpires flourish like some of the current generation has. Now, while we're on the topic of education, I don't want to take the thunder away from some people because I know this has been a big effort put together by a lot of people. But I hear a rumor that Baseball Canada, through collaboration of multiple provinces, are putting together a big super clinic here for the 2021 season. Can you fill us in on some of the information that you know and how BC has been a part of that? Uh, well, we we call it this year a uh, super clinic, umpiring across Canada. And so this will be the first time ever that we've done a joint super clinic that every single province is participating in. Fantastic. It is fantastic. It's uh, it's the, When you sign up for Super Clinic this year, it'll be an experience like you've never had before. So first of all, it is virtual. There's no in-person instruction of any kind, which is a, is different than, you know, any other clinic you've probably ever been to. We've got instructors uh, from across Canada who will teach various different topics. We've got major league umpires who are going to be giving their input and their feedback and their uh, knowledge, things that they see through their eyes on a big league field, things that they're looking at, things that go through their head when they're deciding something on the field, a different point of view than you've probably ever heard or seen. And so those are some of the things that, that you'll see when you sign up for Super Clinic this year. Every province, like I said, is participating. So uh, because of pandemic, most likely there's going to be no in-person clinics in spring this year. And so this is an opportunity for probably upwards of two to 3,000 people across the country to get their level three, four, five certifications for the year at a very nominal cost. The platform itself is so exciting. It's uh, very engaging. It's not just talking heads. There's opportunities to participate, to ask questions, uh, to have learning checks along the way. There's a couple of fun activities towards the end. Like I said, there's interviews with a couple of major league guys. Uh, cool. They'll be kind of interesting to listen to as well. So it's uh, it's going to be fantastic. So. So, Steve, how'd this all come about? How this all came about during one of our umpire meetings in fall, uh, Ed Quinlan from Ontario uh, showed what they had done for their virtual AGM. And it was done online. And I thought it looked pretty cool. And I thought, well, I wonder if there's a way that we can do our clinics in this fashion, uh, since we probably won't be able to this spring. And so Rhonda and I asked Ed if, you know, if he thought that that was possible. And he says that it's absolutely possible. And the next thing uh, we knew, uh, we were discussing with the, uh, the Brain Trust of Ontario and Rhonda and myself in British Columbia about how we could make a joint project work between Ontario and BC because they were thinking of doing the same thing. And so we are combining our resources and combining our connections and uh, using the computer skills that people have that I don't. We really came up with, with a cool idea and, and then we thought, well, I wonder if there's a way or if there's any interest of the other provinces doing this and so we showed them a sample of what we thought it might look like and within a couple of days all the provinces basically said yep yeah, we're in uh, we'd love to participate and so now we're we're at a place where starting in march we'll have these uh, basically you know every week saturday or sunday we're going to have uh, a live super clinic uh, for people so they got lots of opportunities to sign up uh, lots of opportunities to participate and that's it's it's going to be great i think the idea is fantastic i'm really excited to be part of it 
I want to send out a shout out and thank you to everyone that's put time and effort and energy into putting this together because throughout the pandemic, we have all struggled in various ways. So it's nice that we're all connecting in some various shape, way or form. So my recommendation is to everybody, if you're interested, contact your provincial supervisor or your provincial executive committee and find out how to register and how to be part of this new, innovative and exciting time for baseball umpiring in Canada. And I hope to see everyone log in and enjoy the time. Now, one more thing the BCBUA does is they have a special scholarship. It goes by the name of the Ron Boutang Scholarship. You mentioned previously your dad got into umpiring. I'm going to assume this is named after your father? Yeah, it is. Uh, dad was was my hero when I was a kid. So I you know, got into umpiring because he encouraged me to do that. And, you know, I umpired with him for a while when he was still doing that. And he was a decent umpire, a guy who encouraged me in, in baseball a lot. And unfortunately, he got cancer in 2011 and eventually passed away. And so before he passed away, he, he said to me, I want you to do something nice for baseball. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm going to leave you some money. He said, you know, you know, lots of people and you figure it out. You'll you'll know the answer. And I'm like, well, geez, Dad, thanks. <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed What am I supposed to do? And he said, well, he said you you he said you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. I said, well, uh, I said, is are we talking five dollars or five million dollars or we're like I have no idea what what we're talking about here. And and he said, well, it's not going to be five dollars and it's not going to be five million dollars. He said, just be it'll be some money. I said, well, do you want me to build a baseball park for your name? Like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. And he said, well, he said, just trust me. You'll figure it out. He was a couple of days uh, before he passed away. I, I had come up with an idea because I wasn't sleeping very much and, course, yeah. and said to him, I said, what would you think about an umpire scholarship? And he said, oh, I think that's a really good idea. And I said, I, I think I can make something like that happen. And I'm pretty sure that I can raise some money for it. And and I said, whatever you leave will will be, you know, nice seed money, and you know maybe we'll do that. And and I said, would you mind if I called it the Ron Butang Umpire Scholarship? And so that was something that that he thought was was good. He was happy to have his name attached to that, and I think he he had some peace of mind in feeling that he had given back to baseball as well. I mean, he he gave a lot to baseball when we were young, between coaching and umpiring and participating with the association. So it's not like he never did anything for for baseball, but but for him, this was a way to give back to umpiring and knowing full well that you know some young kid might want an opportunity to go to umpire school one day and wouldn't be able to afford to and maybe this would be a way so so he gave me his blessing and and then you know after he passed away I found out what the amount was and that was that was several thousand dollars and it was a, a good way to start it up and the umpires in BC have been uh, very generous to donate to that you know, every year have you know put the word out amongst the major league guys and, and a lot of them have donated hats and jerseys and things of that nature, some baseballs and Stu has been, you know, instrumental in, in providing stuff for that. And, and, you know, Trip Gibson and Mike Malinsky who live in Seattle, they, they come up and teach at our clinics every year and, and they bring stuff and they uh, support things like that as well. And in the end, we're able to usually raise about $3,000 a year, which basically pays the tuition of some young man to, or, or woman to go to pro umpire school in the hopes of reaching their goals. What a fantastic idea and a worthwhile cause. Now, over the years, how many people has this scholarship supported? 
Well, since uh, 2012, we've sent six. We've had a couple of years where we selected winners that they weren't able to go because of work or school or okay. whatever. But uh, last year, we sent a young man named Craig Burt, and uh, Craig was uh, successful. And so he was actually supposed to work in professional baseball last year, which, of course, minor league baseball was uh, canceled. So he'll start in A-ball this coming spring. So he's the first one uh, that actually has got a job, and uh, that's that's an exciting accomplishment for the scholarship. I know. No question. uh, I know he's excited uh, to to be in professional baseball. I think he's... uh, you know, at least got a uh, decent chance to stick around, you know, for a few years. Cool. You know, you never know, right? You never know until you get there. I'm sure there, I'm sure if you asked Stu Sherwater when he was uh, 21 years old, before he went to pro school, if he thought he was going to umpire in the big leagues, he probably would have said, uh, I just hope I can go as far as I can. And, and I'm sure Craig Bird is the same way. Well, Craig, considering everything, I think you're going to owe a lot of people a lot of tickets once you get there, but all the best to you. And this is a shout-out to the Baseball Canada National Program. Craig is a member of the program, having attended a 13U championship at one point. Moving on to professional baseball, Steve, do you think he's an alumni or is he still a member? Well, he's still paying his dues. I still make him pay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, good on you. You can't take from the scholarship and run. But having been part of the program and now moving on to pro ball just speaks to the caliber that we're putting out for umpires in the Baseball Canada program. Yeah, he, uh, in fact, he is uh, a graduate of our Umpire Academy program in BC. So when he was about 17 or 16 or something to that effect, he was uh, not getting a lot of support from his local association and was probably going to throw in the towel. And uh, we convinced him to give the Umpire Academy a try for a weekend. And he had a really good time and he stuck with umpiring and, and showed a lot of promise and worked very hard and you know, when he turned 18, he was into the national program right away. And, uh, you know, what he's accomplished uh, in a short period of time is pretty impressive. He's got a lot of skills and he's a really nice kid and impressed them at pro school last year. I think he's been to two national tournaments, but he went to uh, pro school and impressed them enough there to be offered a position. And uh, hopefully minor league baseball starts at some point this year and he yes. can get out on the field and start chasing his dreams. I agree. All the best of luck, Craig. Okay, we're going to move on to one of our favorite parts of the show. It's called 10 Questions. I'm going to ask you 10 questions may or may not be related to baseball umpiring. If I agree with your answer. And if I disagree. It's all about having some fun. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay. I want to reach in your pocket and pull out your cell phone. Is it a Windows-based or is it an iPhone? It's a BlackBerry. Well, wait, wait, wait. By the way, the BlackBerry stocks have been going over the past couple of weeks. Did you buy any stock? No, I sh- and I didn't buy it when it was worth 150 bucks a stock either. You and Jim Balzilli weren't friends back then? No, I wish I had when it was uh, cheap, though. Oh, yes. Do they still have BlackBerry Messenger? Uh, I, I don't think so. If they do, I don't use it. The only reason I use a BlackBerry is for the uh, the, the typing keys. I can't believe how it's kind of disappeared. It's like a, it's like a beta. Yeah, that's right. Beta Max tapes. Yep. Yeah. Well, we all know that Trevor Grieve still rocking the VCR of his championship game there from years ago. Yeah. So that must be why it stuck around. Okay. Next question. Okay. I heard you used to be in radio at one time. Tell us now, what's your favorite Tom Petty song? Tom Petty. I was never a big Tom Petty fan. 
that's a solid beep on this one. Yeah, uh, I, I could tell you a lot of different uh, different groups that I uh, was a fan of. I'm certainly a '70s rock fan, but uh, not not so much a Tom Petty. Like Mudcrutch, like Tom's first no, band. No, like no, like Rolling Stones and the Eagles and things of that nature. Someday, Hollow Freeze over and the Eagles will come back, right? I got to see the Eagles on uh, May the 11th, about three years ago. Took my wife for her birthday, and that was such an awesome concert. I'm sure Don Henley and Joe Wall still put on a great concert. Sure does. Okay, after the concert, let's go to McDonald's, and what's your combo? Big Mac, quarter pounder, chicken, filet of fish? Quarter pounder all the way. You're going to add bacon to it? Never. What? Like, Never. isn't that the big thing at McDonald's now? Like, you add bacon? No. and Bacon doesn't belong in McDonald's at all. When it comes to McDonald's, Steve has spoken. Okay, if you could trade places with any person for a day, who would it be? Trade places with any person for a day. Man, that's a tough one. Uh, I was a big old-time baseball fan, so I would like to have... I'll say I would like to have been Babe Ruth for a day. It's a baseball show. You can't really go wrong with saying Babe Ruth. And I think you're a Yankees fan, aren't you? Sure am. Well, on this show, that will always get you a... I'm not going to make any comment. I got asked the other day by someone that said, please name a player that you can stand on your least favorite team. And I'm like, I'm just going to be nice. I'm like, I hate the Red Sox. And there's absolutely not a person I like on the Red Sox. So I just can't even give you an answer. And they were offended about that. I'm like... You and me both. <laughs> okay. When people come to you for help and they're asking for something or advice, what do you find they're typically coming to ask you? Like, what's the consistent topic? Uh, well, somebody, somebody is asking me how to get into the national program usually, or they're asking me how to get uh, further ahead in their umpire career. So you'd say your skill in life is umpiring. That seems to be uh, the, the, the only calls that I get. Fair enough. The odd, per the odd person wants to, wants to know how to hit a two iron, so I can maybe give them a little tip on that. But Do they still make a two iron? Hey, I, I've hit a two iron for the majority of my amateur golf career. Love it. One of my go-to clubs off the tee. I know that they come back a couple years ago with the driving irons TaylorMade did. Not a fan of the driving irons. I am an old-school blade-type player. Ooh. What's the handicap then? That's not one of the questions, but what's the handicap if you're playing blades? Two. Two iron? Two iron and two <laughs> handicap. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a lot of years of practice to get it down to that. Or okay. luck. Or luck, yeah. Playing the right courses. Okay, considering that you're like, the people come to you for umpiring advice, what skill would you like to master outside of umpiring? Well, I like to cook. I would say that I would like to master cooking. Now, when you say cooking, do you mean stuff like on top of the stove or like baking in the stove? I know nothing about baking and I have no desire to bake. For me, cooking is, is actually a passion. And so I enjoy uh, things on the stove. I enjoy cooking things on the barbecue. I enjoy smoking things in the smoker. So I, yeah, I have a lot of a uh, lot of different things uh, that I enjoy making, and I am certainly looking at 
you know, doing something like that in retirement where, you know, maybe I have a food truck or maybe I have a bit of a catering business or uh, something of that nature. But that's uh, small, you know, a small little brew pub, anything like that. That's uh, that's right up my alley. Steve Butang's food truck. I'll have to stop by. What will be your specialty on the menu? Tacos? Uh, no, I'm a barbecue fan, so I like uh, brisket, ribs, pulled pork, smoked meat, mm. things of that nature. Oh, sounds delicious. Let's venture back to the 90s. Were you watching Friends or were you more on Seinfeld? Oh, Seinfeld, 100%. You and Costanza both being Yankee fans. and A lot of people have said that my wallet looks like Costanza's. Do you have the back problems that Costanza did too? Or? Uh, no, no, no back problems. I'm starting to get a hair problem like him though. Takes a few more years. You gotta, you're already over the hill and you still got a full head of hair. So you're all set. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to be taking tips from Ronnie here pretty soon. Ron takes tips from Vic Carapaza and they say that they go with the, the five blader. So, yeah. Okay. I want you to think about right now. What is your favorite song at the present time? Well, I'm not, again, I'm not a new music kind of person, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't name you most of the musicians or the groups that existed today. So you want to ask me what my favorite song of the seventies is and something of that nature, then I could tell you that, but I know nothing about current music, nor do I care to. Okay. What song are you walking out to then? If you ever got the opportunity to come in game seven in the world series to close Mm. it out. It's either going to be Queen, Another One Bites the Dust, or it's going to be Start Me Up from the Rolling Stones. You're getting that for the Queen. Not so much for the Rolling Stones, but I'll, I'll give it to you. We're, fi- we're taping this before the Super Bowl. I'm going to get, give you the opportunity. Chiefs or Bucks? Boy, I, uh, I hate both teams. Hate's a strong word, but... I have a lot of hate in me. <laughs> Okay. Anybody who know anybody who knows me knows I have a lot of hate. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna predict or or say if I had to watch and cheer for somebody, I am actually hard to say believe that I'm gonna say this, but I'm gonna cheer for Tampa Bay, not because of Tom Brady. Yes, you are. But but because they've never won anything uh, in football, and I think that would be great for the city, great for the for the team and probably great for the league. So um, I'm not a Tom Brady fan and hate everything about new England. And that's for plays as well. I really would, uh, if I had to pick or somebody that I'm going to cheer for, it's going to be Tampa. I'm going to put it out there. Blaze is not a new England Patriot fan. He's a Tom Brady fan. When Tom retires, he'll find the next bandwagon to jump on. And he'll be rowing that oar as hard as he can. I have no problem saying it. Okay. Tenth question. True or false? Have you ever competed against Owen Hurt for the North American Championship Wrestling Belt in the Stampede Wrestling Circuit under the name of Makasing? Well, contrary to what you may have heard from individuals in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, I am not a professional wrestler, <laughs> nor have I ever been. I was at one point a manager in the WWF called Lou Albano. 
Luel Bano. So you never came in as like Norman the Maniac or no. Lunatic. That's not you. You would not even believe I actually get stopped sometimes, not so much anymore since he died, but or people ask me or say to me, you look exactly like Lou Albano. We all have our doppelgangers out there. Yeah. You know, the Royal Rumble was last week. You could still maybe make an entrance, you know. Never say the, never. Uh, another guy that I was uh, confused with frequently was the Cuban assassin. Yes, I can see that. Yeah. Those were the days of wrestling, I tell you. The storylines oh, and... I, I loved Stampede Wrestling. I loved the old WWF in the days of Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. There were some good days. I mean, I we talked about the WWF recently, or WWE, they call it now, with Ryan Garland and... I tell you, we watched Royal Rumble last week, and they're bringing back some mid-90s guys. Christian was back, and Edge. Edge won the Royal Rumble. Like, oh, oh. Yeah, I didn't see that one. And uh, Randy Orton, it was, it, was, it was a really good Rumble this year. Okay, moving on, next section. We like to call this Local Legends. Who is somebody that you would say is giving back in your local community to the umpiring or baseball community? Uh, you know, I, I, have to give, uh, I have to give a lot of credit to the people in British Columbia who... You know, whether that's the people who work for our executive or the people who contribute to our organization or whether it's a local UIC in the 15 or 20 small communities outside the lower mainland, uh, we have such a great team in BC right now. You know, we've, we've really adopted the uh, family type environment where everybody knows everybody and you're just a number. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a level one or a level five guy. It doesn't matter if you're a first year umpire or a guy who's been doing this for 30 years. You're, you're no more important or no less important than the guy next to you. And so we treat our UICs and our young umpires and uh, our old umpires who are still doing it to give back the same as anybody who went to an international tournament last year. I think that's one of the, the key things in our provincial organization that that has really been great over the last number of years. Sure, I mean we you know we we all know the people who go to national tournaments and and you know some of the people that that you know we've met over the years uh, and they're great people and they give back but uh, you know we we have so many people that get no recognition of any kind and there's no shortage of them out there like I said people people who give back to their local association uh, whether that be as a mentor for a young umpire or a UIC or anything of that nature. Uh, we're thankful for them. We're happy that they're part of our family and you know, part of the brotherhood. And so those people are, are really the, the people that I want to give a shout out to. No question. They're the backbones of our organization. If it wasn't for the people just coming out on Tuesday night and providing quality umpiring and mentoring for baseball, we'd have no baseball in our communities. So we're fortunate. So thank you to everyone out there in our communities. I do appreciate that. And I agree with your words 100%. Well, Steve, essentially that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge. I'd like to thank you for giving us your time coming on and sharing with us some fantastic stories. Now, one of the things we like to do before our guest leaves is we like to allow them the opportunity to give us some words of wisdom. So, Steve, in closing, what do you think is the most wise words of wisdom for an up-and-coming umpire? Uh, I'd say it would be chase your dreams. 
right? So it might not, uh, your, your dream might be to uh, umpire the highest level of baseball in your local community, or your dream might be to umpire at the Olympics. It doesn't really matter, but set a goal and, and go after it. You know, it doesn't matter if, if, if it takes five years, it takes five years. If it takes a lifetime, it takes a lifetime, but it's important to have a goal and uh, take every opportunity that you can because you never know what opportunity you take that will pay off in some way down down the road you know work hard at what you're doing and and you know take take time to set those goals and and take the opportunities because you never know what that might turn into well that concludes this episode of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode where we bring on an umpire that has been nationally certified for more than 25 years, has umpired or supervised at over 20 Baseball Canada National Championships, worked the World Junior Championships in 2002, and is currently writing a book about umpire mentoring, Kent Walker. Now before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe the batter cannot be called out for interference if they are in the batter's box. Our question is, what happens if they are in the on-deck circle? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.